I knew that the neighborhood, that community that we're in, has been a suffering community in so many ways. And you, if you know anything about even the recent history of Charlotte, you, you have heard those things. It had been a rough few years for this church. A few years ago, we were um, engaging in a few uh, exploratory conversations with leaders around the city to see, you know, could it be time for Urban Promise to grow to a new site? And in the process of those conversations, we met Dr. Peter Weary and Mayfield Memorial Missionary Baptist Church uh, in Hidden Valley, uh, which is a neighborhood in Northeast Charlotte, right by uh, the University City area. And we just got so excited imagining what God could do. And so when I, when I first encountered Urban Promise and saw, it feels like it's always been a part of me. So I can't really even remember when I first encountered their, their mission. Um, you know, reach a child, uh, train a leader, change a community. When I saw that, I knew that had to happen here. I mean, I, I get teary-eyed now thinking about it watching those babies come off the bus and get hugs and affirmations. It, it, it is the image of God that happens in those moments. They are acting in, in Imago Dei, the image of God. And when that happens, the power of God has to attend to that. This is the apex of what humanity ought to look like in the kingdom of God. We've been talking about it among our people and, and celebrating the fact that uh, in September, that's going to be a reality here. The new site will truly launch, and so there'll be, you know, nearly 100 kindergarten through 12th graders that will be growing in their leadership, growing in their faith, growing in their academics um, at this new Urban Promise site because of uh, Forest Hill's generosity. So um, thank you to this community for, for being part of the Urban Promise story for, for years, and particularly a huge part of this new chapter. If we come together in relationship across you know, whatever perceived lines of difference, you know, then we add, we, we add to, we hasten the day when the kingdom will come. That is a great story. Fantastic. Thank you for your generosity. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. And I just want to make a couple comments about that. This is what happens when people are generous with and obey God and follow him with all of their resources. At Forest Hill Church, we take 20% of everything that comes in and it goes out the door to do things like that. And you may not know, if you're new to Charlotte area or something like that, the Hidden Valley part of Charlotte at one time was one of the most dangerous places in the country because of gang activity. And what we're about to see because of this partnership and because of your generosity is a neighborhood on the precipice of being completely changed and turned around as the kingdom of God comes and finds itself in it. Because that is our vision, that we believe that over the next years, as we fully live out building bridges to connect everyone to dynamic life in Christ, that we'll see Charlotte transformed. Transformed from a place long known to be separated because of what divided it, and instead transformed because of what unites it and connects it to Jesus. And so thank you. I just want to encourage you to continue to invest well in the kingdom. And for those of you that do that here, we are really, really grateful for that. We are uh, continuing today in a series we started a few weeks ago, looking at one particular letter, three chapters of a letter called Second Peter in the Bible. 
We have been looking at this last will and testament, at Peter's last words written to a church and then to all of us about how to have that dynamic life of Christ. The first chapter that we looked at for a few weeks is all about finding ways to connect ourselves to the power of God, to live a life that brings us fulfillment and abundance, and last week, to remember that we have everything that we need through both the scriptures and through the eyewitness testimony of many to be able to follow this King Jesus. And today... Peter is going to take a turn as we enter chapter 2, and we're going to talk less about the foundations of the faith, and the reason we're going to do that is because he gave the foundations first so that we would be able to handle what comes next. Starting today, we're going to spend a couple of weeks in chapter 2 looking at the problem of false teaching. False teachers, false prophets, fake news, counterfeit, if you will, worldviews that face every single one of us. And here's the key, the reason that you want to pay attention to this today and to what Peter has to say is not just because it's in the Bible. The reason that you want to pay attention to this is because Peter, a man who knew well what it would take to follow Jesus through adversity, to be able to deal with the lies and the twisted truth that comes out, the counterfeit stuff that tries to be sold to us, he knew that we would be able to only do it as we found ourselves rooted deeply in the center of the center of Christianity. So we're going to talk about that for the next few minutes. Before we do, we're going to read from 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, a few verses here. We're going to understand why the application for this is so important and why Peter wants to help us avoid the deception that is out there. Peter writes, what we're about to read are some tough words. It's words about judgment. It's words about God's anger at the sin that mars his creation. And all of this, I want you to understand, is done, is written by Peter, given to us out of love. That's his motive. His motive is not guilt. His motive is not to try to set up some false in or out group that just excludes some and, and makes others feel important or powerful. His motive is love. And that motive comes directly from God, who loves us enough to warn us of deception that's out there. So I'm gonna ask if you're able, if you would stand, where this is gonna be on the screen. We're reading from 2 Peter chapter two, beginning in verse one and going through verse 10. Here's what Peter has to say. There were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them and they'll bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved ways, and the way of truth will be maligned because of them. They will exploit you in their greed with made-up stories. Their condemnation, pronounced long ago, is not idle, and their destruction does not sleep. Four, if God did not spare the angels who sinned but cast them into hell and delivered them in chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment, and if he didn't spare the ancient world but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others when he brought the flood on the world of the ungodly, and if he reduced the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes and condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what's coming to the ungodly, and... If you rescued righteous Lot 
distressed by the depraved behavior of the immoral, for as that righteous man lived among them day by day, his righteous soul was tormented by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, especially those who follow the polluting desires of the flesh and despise authority. This is God's word. You can be seated. Peter is talking about counterfeits. And counterfeits, con artists, have always been at work. Always in the world from the very beginning, people have known how to con, trick, counterfeit, and deceive others into following them. Uh, In the early 2000s, the greatest fraud in fake art, a conspiracy in the art world that affected galleries and collectors, shut down one of the most famous galleries in the world in New York City happened. It was perpetrated by a couple of folks, a really talented forger of artworks, a slick salesman with a silver tongue able to weave a story of intrigue and inside information, a gullible public who bought what they were selling, and just enough truth to make it sound plausible. Uh, This fraud happened as someone began to paint fake Jackson Pollocks and Mark Rothkos and de Koonings and Madewells and Motherwells. There were all these paintings, all these incredible works of art, 60 of them over the course of 10 years sold for $80 million, all created by a street artist who got really, really good at counterfeiting the master artists of the works that he followed. And all it took for this fraudulent conspiracy to wipe out the fortunes of many people, collectors and artists and galleries alike, were the same things that cause every counterfeit, every con that's ever come on the planet to happen. Someone willing, a greedy person willing to exploit others for personal gain and following. Someone desperate enough to believe, desiring something so bad that they're willing to suspend their best judgment, and a little bit of truth, twist it up and turned into deception. That's what every con has in common. The counterfeit art world uh, never stopped. I was watching a documentary about this called Made to Look. It's on Netflix. You can check it out. It's really interesting. And it follows all the people. One of the things it says at the very beginning, the first line of the film says this, nobody wants to be fooled. Would you agree? No one wants to be, have any of you ever been taken by like false advertising, somebody who came in the house and talked to you about those Cutco knives or so, I don't know, Cutco's great, but you know what I'm saying? Someone who comes in and like gets you to do something that you would never have done on your own before, but because they have such a good pitch and because they appeal to what you really want anyway, they're able to take you down a path that you never intended to go happens to people all the time. Some of the the hugest false advertising campaigns have been perpetrated on the American people because we really like simple, we really like make it my way, let me decide, and we really, really like to be in control. Nothing's changed. Peter says that the false teachers that were gonna be a part of the community of the church in, in that time are just like the ones that we find today. They smuggle in deceit, They appeal to what we want already, 
And they make us believe that if you just buy this, you'll be fulfilled. If you just do this, you'll find your true you. If you just do this, a spiritual world will open up and you'll have this new enlightenment and way of being that nobody else has. And you can follow me directly into it. Same tricks, played over and over and over again. So I'm gonna tell you three things out of the passage we just read to help us do what I think Peter wanted the folks who were reading his letter initially and us who follow, three ways to make sure that we don't get caught up in this counterfeit. We're gonna talk about how to spot it, we're gonna talk about how to avoid it, and we're gonna talk about the end result for those who perpetuate it on people. This message, in some ways, is not gonna be fun, and in other ways, it is incredibly encouraging. Because the best news that I can give you, I'm gonna give you at the end, but I'm gonna tell you right now, is that God wants to warn us for what is coming. God loves you enough to tell you how to get out of the counterfeit scheme. And it's gonna be up to you and me to choose whether or not to follow him out. So three things that we're gonna learn from this passage. First is be aware. The second is be wise. And the third is be confident. Be aware, be wise, and be confident. First, be aware. Real simple, be aware, Peter says, that counterfeits, false teachers, are around, they always have been around, and they always will be around. He alludes to those prophets in the early days of the people of Israel who would for profit and also for their own uh, following and gain would cause people to go, they tend to speak for God and say, if you just listen to me, here's what's going to happen. Jeremiah dealt with this. Several of the prophets dealt with others who would come and claim to speak for God and, and lead the people astray. It's always been there, and it's here today. Sometimes when we think about false teachers, it seems like that's somewhere else or some other time. But I spent some time just this week looking up some stuff on Instagram and YouTube. Uh, some, some folks who had huge followings in the hundreds of thousands that had amassed this group of power and had, were making tons of money off of it by selling a what sounded really good at first, because it was, it was based on a desire that many of us have, by selling a way to follow them that led completely away from Christ and from his true teachings. Uh, one of them started out with something that's near and dear to a lot of our hearts, especially a church like ours that wants to build bridges. It was, it was one person who was talking about leading from the place of all of the racial injustice, of the pain that many minorities have faced for a long time, especially the last years come up. And in that, this lady took uh, that desire that many of us have to see that justice be brought. And she started to twist things and she got people sucked in and pretty soon her end result was that Jesus actually didn't die. He really probably wasn't a, a human who lived. He probably wasn't resurrected. Because of that, sexuality really should just be determined by you. Like what feels best for you? What feels good? Do, do you? And she, she went from a place of starting with like, man, I really want that to I get all the way over here to denying the teaching of Christ in the way of the kingdom. Happens all the time. Be aware that these people are out there. Be aware that even if they don't claim to be a part of the church, be aware that the worldview itself, culture is always going to push us and push against those who follow Christ and try to say that ultimately you need to be in charge. You don't need a boss, a king, a God. God is in you, it is you, be you, right? That's always the push. Because as fallen human beings, we always want to rebel against authority. 
It starts whenever we are the smallest age possible. The first thing kids love to say is no, and the second thing is mine. We, we want to say no to you and hoard and grab. That's the exact same root of the problem in almost every counterfeit teaching. Peter says, be aware. These are always around. Their motive is not love. It's exploitation for greed, like he says in verse one. These are not, I'm pretty clear about this, we're not talking about just disagreements in churches about how to worship or how to baptize. Don't get me wrong, we're not talking about those kind of things. What I'm talking about here are specific teachings that deny, as Peter says, the master to deny Christ. And here, in just a second, I'm gonna tell you what those things usually are that they deny. But first, let me tell you why this is so important for us to get. You add really good con men with just, and women, with just enough truth to twist and make people follow them for their own greed and gain, add to that the first, the, the generation of young people right behind me, the first generation to be fully post-Christian. Young people that do not have a gospel memory. You add that to really good speakers with a really good offer that sounds right to me and what I want. And we are in for disaster unless there's a way to combat that. And Peter says the way to combat counterfeit has always been the same. Focus on the center. Go back to the core. That's the second point. First, you gotta be aware. Secondly, you gotta be wise. Here's what wisdom looks like when we're dealing with this. It looks like what Jonathan mentioned last week as, we were teach, as he was teaching on this, that um, the core, the center of the center of the center of the Christian faith is this. Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and return. That, that's it. Christianity is about that. It's not a political ideology. It's not a set of morality rules. It's not a club to join. It's not a social justice or, or social good organization. The center of Christianity is all about ever, always has been, ever will be Jesus. Life, death, resurrection, return. And, and those counterfeits always find a way to deny a part of that. So sometimes it, it gets denied by saying that, you know, and you've heard this, maybe, maybe Jesus was a really, really good guy, great teacher, fantastic friend. You want Jesus as your next door neighbor. But, but all the stuff about being God, that's, that's probably not true. Or, or, yeah, I'm sure he lived, but nobody got through crucifixion and was resurrected. No, nobody could go through that. So that's probably not, he probably was risen in their hearts. And just, you know, the disciples after that, they just wanted so bad for him to be alive again that they just believed that he was risen in his heart. But he, nobody bodily rises from the dead. Or, but Jesus is all about love. You know, he would want you to be happy. Like whatever you're gonna do, he wants you to be happy. That's what he cares about, right? You've heard this? this. This is the denial of Christ's life, death, resurrection, and return. And particularly the return piece in Peter's day, these prophets were saying, hey, he's not coming back. It's been 30 years. I mean, where is this Jesus? He was supposed to come back and set up the kingdom. He's not. So in light of that, do whatever you wanna do. And people, just like anybody that falls for a con, had just enough desire inside to say, yeah, I want that to be true. I really do wanna live my way. 
I really do wanna be the king. I really like being in charge of my money, my sexuality, my body, my career, my house, my car. I like being the one who makes those decisions. Yeah, yeah, I'll buy that, I'll take that. And, and you're right, he, he probably isn't coming back. I mean, that sounds like such a fairy tale. Peter would say, be wise. Folks, there's evidence of the resurrection outside of the Bible. This is why we believe everything in the Bible is because there is good evidence and if you don't follow him yet, if you're not sure about that, you should do this research. Jesus was a real person, born to a virgin. The, the marriage of divinity and humanity, God and human flesh, who lived a perfect life, who really did get put on a Roman cross and crucified after being punished, scourged, tortured, really did happen. He really was taken down off the cross and was buried and he really did rise again, seen by hundreds and hundreds of people. And, and the old saying goes like, guaranteed if the Roman Empire or the Jews could have produced his dead body, they would have. But they couldn't and they didn't. And so we're left with what do we do with that? What do you and I do with, like, I get that when you just start reading the Bible, you can go, I just don't like what it starts to do when it edges in on the way that I want to handle myself, my body, my whatever. You don't like it, but that's not the first question. The first question is, is Jesus really Jesus? And if so, everything else is on the table. I was talking about this with a friend this past week, and he reminded me of a conversation that Pastor Tim Keller had. And Keller says these words. He said he was talking to a woman and she says, uh, seriously, do you really buy, do you, I mean, this is crazy. Like you Christians, do you really believe in that whole only one person sex between one man, one woman marriage kind of thing? Like that, I mean, see, really? And he goes, oh no, it's, it's crazier than that. We're way nuttier than just believing that. We believe that a man rose from the dead and that man was actually God. And that he did that so that he could take all of the guilt for everything that you've done, the sexual sins and others, all of it on himself so that you could be absolutely free. And one day he's going to return, set up a kingdom, and you're going to get to live in it forever with him if you choose to follow. That's how crazy we are. Ideas and rules about sexuality and generosity and community and all that stuff, that's just the tip of the iceberg. We're nuts. Unless it's true. So be wise. If you get confronted with something that wants, that feels good, that sounds like it wants to drag you away, be wise. Because belief leads to behavior. Belief leads to Doctrine determines your direction. I can give you a great example of that from this week. How many, maybe there are people at home right now who are at home having to watch on, uh, online because there's no gas in your car. Just this week, we had this belief that there was a gas shortage, that everything was gonna fall apart, and actually we're told there was no gas shortage. There was a, a transportation problem, not a supply problem. But everyone lost their minds I mean, you're talking about, did you guys see this stuff? Like everybody, if you had an eighth of a tank left, you went to top it off, maybe let, fill a little bit extra that it sat around the, the nozzle right there, just in your car driving around. There were people with cans full of, they couldn't drive that gas out in the next three months. Did you see the, the picture of the lady filling up the plastic bags? 
Now, now, that wasn't actually true. That didn't actually happen this week. It, just do a quick search and you can find out that was from a couple years ago. But someone thought that was a good idea. Why? Because believing a lie led to our behavior change. And here's what's really underneath it. It wasn't just that the lie caused, but the lie tapped into the part of us that we really, really deep down want. And that is to self-protect, to hoard, to grab and grasp, and to be in control, right? That's what sent people off trying to fill up everything in their neighborhood with gas. Because doctrine determines your direction. These counterfeit teachers, they, they bring in, and these worldviews bring in something that says, deny Christ. Peter also says, don't be surprised, be wise, that they're gonna be really popular. Lots of people will follow. Because lots of people want it to be true that I get to choose what's real and right. But he says, be also wise and don't fall for the same tricks. And here's a way that you can almost always catch when this kind of deception comes on, especially in the church. Almost always do your research and you figure it out. But I can tell you after looking at it quite a bit, here's what usually happens. It is a really charismatic leader who begin, ends up speaking, begins this pathway and ends up telling you that particularly in two areas, in sexuality and in greed, the rules are totally up to you, almost every time. It's like the two things that tempt us the most, they tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, the Bible calls it, the desire for pleasure, the desire for power and pride. Those same things, they always are the ones that get played on. So be wise. Thirdly, he says, be confident. Now, here's where it starts to get intense it hasn't already. Welcome to church, by the way. Be confident in two things. Be confident that judgment, that justice will be done. And secondly, be confident that God will rescue those who are righteous out of that judgment. Here's what Peter does. He uses these three examples of God's judgment. The example of fallen angels, the example of Noah and the flood, and the example of Sodom and Gomorrah. These three examples of how God brought judgment on a people or on a place, if you look at it, it's kind of interesting. From the angel's perspective, that's like universal judgment, like judgment out there. And then it, he shows us in an example, judgment on the whole world in the flood. And then finally, judgment on a local place in a city. And Peter says, don't be confused. Built into the fabric of the universe, and you know this, because you, you long for it, just like I do. Built into the fabric of the universe is the principle that we get what we deserve, that justice will be done. People call it karma, people call it just dessert, whatever. Here's the thing, that is a real principle that even if it's delayed, what you deserve comes back. Unless there's a power greater than that that intervenes, which is the story of Christianity, it's the story of grace. The grace is more powerful than just getting what you deserve. But Peter says, don't be confused. The judgment, the justice will come. And this is why that's good news. Because for all of us who've been wronged, for all of us who have this place in our heart that we see evil in the world and we see something that's just not right and we feel like how in the world can God keep looking away or not fixing it? And we feel defeated and discouraged. You can know 
that one day God will make it all right. He does not allow the scales of justice to remain out of balance. He will not. If he does, he's not God. Because he says he himself is just and righteous. So it's gonna happen. Peter is saying, if you want evidence that it's gonna happen, even though it doesn't happen right now, look at the angels, the flood, and Sodom and Gomorrah. All three of them, the sin beneath the sin. Now, there were terrible sexual immorality involved in Sodom and Gomorrah. Unbelievable. In the flood at Noah's time, it says this, I just wanna read it to you. Genesis 6, 5, listen to the, to the way that the writer described that time of the flood. It says, when the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that, listen to this, every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. One translator says it like this, they only ever always had evil thoughts, always, ever. Imagine a world in which every thought that came into a person's mind was wrong, was off, was a way of God's intention, was trying to, de to deface and to mar and to hurt out of two things that are at the center of every sin, pride and rebellion. Two things that always lead us so, so it doesn't matter what the, the symptoms are. It doesn't matter what the presenting symptoms are. What matters is at the root, we all are suffering with a pride and a rebellion problem. And so God brought judgment. Peter even says, to show what it's gonna be like in the future. This is what's coming. He says, be confident that justice will be done. But here is the best news that I can give you, the best news that you will ever hear in your life. God will bring judgment to balance the scales, but he gives us the opportunity to respond to choose what date that happens for you. Here's what I mean. Jesus' life led to a cross, and we're told on that cross, the judgment of all the sin that the world has committed and will ever commit, all of it was placed on him. That's the reason why it had to be God himself who took it because a mere mortal couldn't take the punishment for all that. So God said, I'll take it all. And he chose to allow all the judgment, all the wrath, all, everything that was holy to be unleashed on him to balance the scales at that moment. And in Jesus' resurrection, he says, now I offer it to you. See, we get the opportunity to respond by either making judgment day for me and you some date in the future after we die where we stand on our own and face up to getting justice for what we've done wrong or we allow our judgment day to have happened 2,000 years ago on the cross. That's the offer of the gospel. You get to choose which date you are judged. And if it's 2,000 years ago, then the judgment was dealt with and done in Jesus Christ and you are free and forgiven and wide open to an abundant dynamic life with Christ. That's the offer. Or you get to face it on your own at some point in the future after you die. That's it. Be confident that those are the two options, Peter would say. But be confident that Jesus was big enough, that his love was deep enough, and his ability to absorb all of that judgment was big enough. That if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation for you anymore. It's done. 
That's what takes a judgment message like this and makes it actually encouraging. If you're willing to allow his death and resurrection to be the way God balances the scales on your favor. But that's our choice. Peter would say, be confident that God knows how to rescue the righteous from judgment. That's always the pattern. With Noah, here's a guy who was told by God to do something crazy. Build a boat because there's a big flood coming. Hadn't even ever rained on the earth before. People around, he's telling them like, I'm building the boat because the flood's coming. What are you talking about, what's a flood? Well, it's what happens after all the rain comes. What's rain? For 120 years, Noah preaches, this is the way of rescue, come get in it. God has told me how to be rescued. And nobody but Noah and his seven family members took it. God loves you so much and me so much that he's making through this message an appeal and an invitation to you to say you can be rescued. Because God knows how to rescue the, the righteous, but he also knows how to bring justice. Finally, I just wanna say this, and then I wanna ask you to consider this proposition. Lot, we're told, and being confident, Lot, who wasn't a perfect man, you can read his story, and there's a whole lot about him that was messed up. In God's eyes, he was righteous, but it says that Lot's soul and heart was tormented by what he saw happening around him. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, the fact that judgment is coming should not make you gloat, should not make you arrogant, should not make you proud. It should break our hearts when we look around and see how far people have been led down the deceptive pathway by counterfeit faith. Our job is like righteous Noah to continue to make the offer and the invitation come. Find justice, find release and freedom in Jesus. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna ask that you just, for a second, in this kind of heavy moment, that you just consider yourself for a moment. And that you consider with me, when is judgment day gonna be for you? I mean, you can choose to say that I don't buy it. But if there's a place in your heart right now, in your soul right now that says, I know it's true. I know it's true. And you want to be rescued from that judgment. What it takes is placing our faith, repenting, turning around, and following this Jesus into life. It takes choosing to let him be Lord. Look, you're not gonna tomorrow all of a sudden just like a switch is turned and you do everything perfectly. It's a path of, that's what we call it, following. You gotta walk it out. But if in your heart, in the deepest places of who you are, whether you're watching online or you're in the room, where you are right now, if you just know, I want rescue, I believe this, and I'm willing to learn how to walk after him. Even though that means accepting him as Lord means that there's authority and there are, there are things that I have to learn to change and do differently because he wants what's best for me. If you're willing to do that today, today is the day that you can choose to have your judgment having been dealt with 2,000 years ago and you can be free and you can come alive. And here's the way I want you to do it. If you're ready to do that, there's a QR code either on the screen if you're online or there's one in front of you somewhere in the seat. 
And if you scan that, it says, I've decided to follow Jesus. Just if you're ready to do it and you want to take that step, just hit that because we want to help walk with you through this. I'm going to say a prayer and your campus pastors are going to be able to lead you through this. But in just a moment, I want to do that. But I want to make sure that you understand that there's a choice to respond to what God has already offered you today. Be confident. God knows how to rescue the righteous. Let's pray. Father, I first, I thank you that you love us enough to warn us. I thank you that you love us enough to, to not only warn us of what's out there, but to make a way of escape and a way of rescue. I thank you, God, that the truth, and it is good news that you always bring justice because so many of the stories of people who are watching or who are listening, who are in a room right now, they're filled with moments where injustice was done to them. And we desire to see that made right, God. And, and you've said it's gonna happen. We can be confident of that. God, for those who today are choosing, like in, in, in the deepest parts of them and they feel it, they know it. They can feel this thing rising up that says, I want that, Jesus, I want you. God, I pray that you would help them have the courage to take that one next step right now. God, I pray that as you do that, you would bring the joy of rescue, the joy of salvation to people who realize they don't have to be guilty anymore. What a message. But God, I pray also for those of us who are already your followers, Jesus, I, I pray that you would help us to not be the ones who try to sit in judgment of the world around us, God, but to do our part to love and to warn and to invite and to compel, let our hearts be broken rather than let us become smug and arrogant. And in that, God, you would take this, this little outpost of the kingdom called Forest Hill and you would, you would make it full of people who were just like lifeboat captains, just rescuing people. Here's the truth, here's the way, here's the rescue. Don't be deceived. God, and we'd see many come to faith over the years because of that. Jesus, I thank you that as king, you were willing to give us a seat at your table. And so now we pray these things, trusting that you'll do that work that you need to do in hearts. And that one day, everything will be made right and we'll get the joy of being with you, our beautiful and resurrected savior, the life you always intended for us. I pray this in that beautiful name. Amen.